Economia. Solidarietà. Battaglia. Isolation. Connazionali. Geisterspiele. Guerra. Welcome to World Making in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Renata Brandão and today we're talking about moving geographies with Esther, Joseph and Mary Jane. This podcast is the first episode of the series focusing on the World Making in the Time of COVID-19 project. We will be discussing the very different ways in which COVID-19 has been narrated across the world with 12 languages represented by our ambassadors. Now it's time to welcome our guests. They are here to provide expertise and valuable insights into the global narrative of COVID-19. Hello, everyone. I am Esther Kintish. I am an American master's student studying medical humanities within the English department at King's College London. The reason I wanted to do English is because I love English, I love words, um, and also this was kind of science communication to me with the project, so I was really interested in giving my input and service to it. Hi, my name is Joseph Presswich and I'm a PhD student based in the German department at King's College London. My language of choice is German, as you might expect, and it's a language I've studied since high school. I was one of the few people that had to study it in high school and it's been stuck with me ever since. Hi everyone, my name is Maria Jane Marimon. I'm with the International Development Department at King's and I'm going to be covering Mandarin. I am Spanish, but uh, I lived for six years in Asia. So I went to high school in Hong Kong and my language of choice is Mandarin because I've been studying it for eight years and I thought it would be a good challenge for me. Hi all and welcome to our uh, podcast. So what's in store today? The COVID-19 pandemic has not been treated in the same way around the world and has therefore not been reported the same. In our first episodes on the moving geographies, we will be looking at how the COVID-19 has redefined our relationship with spaces. Researching the various news beats in the various languages, we found some curious facts that show we are changing our relationship of physical spaces. That is our interpretation of distance, proximity, and general geography, but also this understanding of home. Uh, today, we'll talk about changes in geography, language, and our personal sense of home as the pandemic advanced. Starting with the change of geography, we have noticed that the narrative has moved geographically over the three months from Asia to Europe into Americas as the disease progressed. What have you found in your own languages? So I guess as we'd probably expect, the discourse at the kind of the start of the time period that we were looking at, thinking about kind of late January, early February, in the German newspapers, really it's all focused on East Asia. So it's Wuhan, China, German word for Chinese, um, Chinese. These are the words that kind of come up the most and these are the locations that come up the most. And it's really kind of towards the kind of beginning of February, towards the middle of February, that the location that seems to shift. So more European locations, so obviously Germany, but the towns in Germany that kind of would come up the most are Frankfurt, so like Frankfurt am Main, the big economic center of Germany, um, but also kind of really small places like Germersheim, which is in sort of south 
West Germany, sort of and near the border with France, the Rhineland province, which is that whole area that kind of borders Germany and France, and then France itself occurring um, frequently at this in this kind of like beginning transition period in early February. And then obviously, kind of after these are small these smaller locations, that's when Berlin starts getting mentioned more frequently. Um, so it's kind of obviously telling the story of the kind of the the virus or the pandemic shifting from East Asia sort of through almost South Europe, Southern Europe, France, and kind of into Germany through France, it seems. And then Berlin becomes the focus a bit later on um, as the kind of the narrative progressed. So in English, there were a lot of different responses uh, in different places. And one of the things that I found interesting with moving geographies is how the narrative at the beginning appeared consistent in some places when focusing on administration, organization, and departments. I know that in Africa, as it kind of expanded um, within, in early March, um, there were words such as economic impact, policy, um, and departments which really focused on how to situate the resources and deal with the virus. And as it kind of continued, there was a lot of information with coping with the economic crisis of COVID, um, as well as the scientific communication um, around it to discuss it. So it was mainly about just safeguarding and caring for the public uh, from the government stance. In in Chinese, actually, I've, I've noticed that the, the concept of moving geographies refers more to where the articles are written. So I concentrated in Chinese and I can read simplified Chinese. So there's also the traditional Chinese. And what I found really interesting when, when looking for the, for the newspaper articles was that the majority of them came from Singapore and Malaysia. So I did not cover those, but um, for Chinese newspapers, there was only one source in uh, LexisNexis, and it was the China Economic Information Network. And it was actually really interesting to see that disparity in terms of who writes most articles, even though the pandemic started in China, the majority of, of, of articles written in Chinese were coming from Singapore and Malaysia. And then with uh, this source that I was telling you, the China Economic Information Network, even though it's a Chinese newspaper and even though their website is written in simplified Chinese, the articles that I found were all written in traditional Chinese, which did create a barrier for me because like I said, it's it's not the language that I had studied exactly. It's it's a lot harder to read traditional Chinese. So I found that really interesting. One thing that I I was I was thinking is in Mandarin, the month with the highest volume of articles was March, with a thousand three hundred and eighty-four articles that month, while German in one single day in March would have about the same, if not more, probably closer to two thousand articles per day, and it's still. It's, it's interesting to see that the same trend it's seen throughout all the languages. Did you guys notice uh, differences in terms of days of the week as well? Or if there was changes in how this moving geographies existed throughout the, the days of the week and not just the months? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely in the German context, Monday to Saturday, you'll have like loads of articles in a day, basically. But then Sunday is this kind of dramatic drop off in the number of articles. So I'm not sure exactly what the figures are off the top of my head, but it would be, you know, in the hundreds during the week or even during the thousands. And then Sunday will be like sometimes in the tens or in the low hundreds. So really not a lot. Um, and we thought about this for a while. And then my partner, who was also working in the German context, suggested that it was because Sunday is kind of, well, <laughs> she thought it was because the Germans kind of want to have a rest on a Sunday. So like, um, you know, in, a Sunday in Germany is really a complete day off, like all the shops are shut. But also fewer newspapers are printed and the general tone on a Sunday is a bit more discursive so we're having articles that are addressing larger questions larger philosophical questions about the pandemic about the virus um, about the impact of the pandemic whereas during the week it's kind of more pure news so we thought that's probably the reason why there are fewer articles on a Sunday. I agree I think on Thursdays um, in English there were so many articles particularly I know on Thursday, March 12th, Asia had about 1,238 articles. And then America, um, North America, on that next Thursday, March 19th, produced 4,834 articles. So I was just trying to figure out why so much data was being produced. Um, but it was also interesting knowing that data was being produced. So I found it to be pretty cool kind of digging, trying to dig through and um, make sense of it also well for for chinese what what i found really interesting was there were no articles written on the weekend friday had friday and monday had the fewest articles thursdays had loads of articles but the interesting thing is that um this is only coming from one source so some some days there would be a thousand articles and you would think this is coming from loads of different newspapers and it's only coming from one. So, so I also felt like, how can you be saying so much in one day about this subject in one particular day? And then on the weekends, completely like, be on mute. So this might have to do again with maybe people not wanting to read such heavy, heavy subjects on the weekend, or maybe because this newspaper just concentrates on on publishing uh, articles on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Around nine out of the 10 languages have mentioned coronavirus as the virus from Wuhan. Did you notice any any particular way of how this has been referenced in, in, in each specific languages? Yeah, so in, again, in the German context, while we're still talking about the virus in East Asia as kind of like an East Asian problem at the kind of at the beginning of the year, the language used to describe it is very sort of medicinal. So it's still the Lungenkrankheit, the lung illness, Atemwegskrankheit, respiratory illness, uh, Lungenentzündung, inflammation of the lungs. It's referred to as, as the fever. So it's not necessarily called like um, as Trump would say, the China virus, but the words being used are very medicinal, um, describing the symptoms of the virus, really. And I'd say as the virus moves back to Germany, that kind of stops and it just becomes 
the coronavirus. And actually, interestingly, they often will refer to SARS as well, kind of making that comparison between the coronavirus and SARS. Again, this is something that happens while the virus is, is kind of seen as being an East Asian problem and not a European problem. In Mandarin, maybe because it started in China, the pandemic is just referred to as coronavirus or COVID-19. When looking for the articles, we searched for both in English and in Chinese, and uh, we found that the COVID-19 in Chinese, so Xinxing Feiyan, had the most uh, results. And it's interesting because it's very similar to German in the sense of its pneumonia. So the word actually just means a new type of, of pneumonia, whereas in, in English, the word is COVID-19. So I, I found that quite interesting. There's also sometimes a small mention of, of SARS, but the, the primary word is, is COVID-19 in Chinese. That is all very interesting. Thank you. You have already started talking a little bit about this, and I would like to, to know more about this idea of not only the moving of geographies, but also the change in language and how language has changed with this move. Our research has also showed a clear disparity in the vocabulary used in the pre- and post-European crisis and the way that it has been narrated. We understand the language, it's not neutral, and that is really one of the reasons why we started this project to start with. And we are aware that hateful language can uh, spread fear and anger. And one of the examples I already brought from before, which, which is the symbolic association with the Chinese virus or the virus from Wuhan, the simple fact of using these kind of terms it's, it's already different from using COVID or using coronavirus. It has consequences on social and political level, as is evident from the various attacks on Chinese of Asian-looking individuals, as we have seen in this country, but also, unfortunately, not only in this country. And there has been quite a few interesting changes of, of language, of how the, the pandemic has been discussed when it was in Asia and when it was in Europe as well within each country. So each country has a very unique way of, of creating the narratives. What are the most interesting facts in the changing of languages that you have found in your language? So in the German context, in terms of the way that the language changed, and as I said before, when the virus was seen as being a kind of an East Asian problem, the language was very medicinal um, and it seemed to be a kind of a real health issue. That seemed to be the main concern. And then as it shifted over towards Germany and more domestic concerns, then the language went a lot more economical and more about business and, of course, sport, because it's Germany. Interestingly, the kind of the big words that kind of would come up in the context of kind of economics, business and sport you know, like the cancellation of things like the cancellation of football games, the cancellation of the Formula One in Vietnam, these sorts of things got a lot of attention. Um, the cancellation of the Verlags and uh, Buchmesser, so the kind of publishing fair, the kind of really large publishing fair and book fair that happens in Leipzig every year. The kind of cancellation of this got a lot of attention and seemed to be a real problem. So again, like the German word for cancel comes up a lot and you realise that that's kind of what's happening, I guess, mid-February is all these big economic events that usually bring a lot of 
that would bring a lot of, I guess, economic activity into Germany were being cancelled, and that was then seen as a as a big problem for for Chinese. Uh, so, because I only had one one source of information, it was primarily focused on macroeconomics, finance, enterprise, and generally China's economy. So that was that was a limitation for me because I wasn't actually able to explore or get an insight into what was being said about Chinese society with regards to, to the pandemic, which I think would have been very interesting to see, especially at the very start. What I find is interesting is the fact that there were no articles in January, despite uh, the pandemic having started sooner, so November, December. So there's no articles in in January. And then in February, there, there started to be a lot more written with a focus on particularly that enterprise and a return to work. So those were the most common words. And the dialogue was a bit more broad, I would say. I think there was a, a concept of unsureness as to how one could fix the economy. So it was very broad subject. And then in March and April, the dialogue became a lot more concentrated on the term, for example, car was very, very popular, which I found very interesting. And the word 100 million. So in Chinese, 100 million is just EUN. So it's just two characters. And these two like refer directly to the, the car industry and how much money was the government wanted to give to car industries and enterprises in general to to try and 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 improve the economy. So throughout this time, like I said, it started from a very broad um, overview into much more actions that the government was going to take with money given to enterprises, to people, for example, to return to work, uh, how much money the government was willing to spend and how much they thought was necessary to try and and encourage people, incentivize people to to start the economy once more in the country. I agree. It was it was a surplus of language that I noticed. And to better express it, I kind of put it into little categories. So I know in English, coronavirus, um, it was used a lot more frequently than COVID. And it was a lot of medical language and medical terminology. So in Africa, they were trying to figure out how to deal with the present. Um, issues, but also how to deal with maybe vaccines for COVID. So that word came up. But in the UK, I noticed um, the word social distancing, um, which was a big one, unprecedented, which was two just really common ones. And with those two words, there were also articles about like homemaking, like how many people per household can stay together. So I thought that was an interesting thing of how to grapple with this new virus. And then also like preparing for life after. So it was a lot of preparation ahead of time. So there were words used like remote, online, business. Um, and those words were interesting to me because it was showing a shift already um, about where we would be headed next um, and giving us some sort of direction. Um, and funding was interestingly mentioned but more in an academic sense definitely for people obviously to have to make a way through COVID. Um, because we're able to gather information from from various countries as well as we're looking at, at the language more generally I was wondering if you have noticed as well 
differences not only in terms of of the language broadly speaking but also for example for german was the language different when he was talking about germany than when he was talking about i don't know if you if you pick it up on it but switzerland or austria the same with english that we divided between five categories and also mandarin because there was not only the newspapers from china but also from singapore so did you notice differences in languages when comparing the different locations of where the language is coming from i definitely did i noticed like so in america there were a lot of discourse communities you can say people discuss covid differently and i think culturally it's going to be different in america versus the uk of how based upon like how the government presents things or kind of charges us to deal with it then the people would then come up with their own response so even though the people did not create the the text um, with the newspapers you can still see in a way a public facing response that was reflected in the writing i'd say there was no marked difference that i noticed at least between the different german speaking countries no finding it's a good it's a finding as well <laughs> uh and mary jane did you did you notice any difference when he was talking about continental uh, china or other countries that speak uh chinese mandarin my research was directly with china but uh what i what i found interesting more than the discourse because i i didn't actually analyze it was how much was written outside of china in chinese so like i mentioned earlier singapore and malaysia had a lot of articles uh but also america so the us had a lot of articles written in chinese every single day and i think it would be interesting to read those as well because i'm sure that the the dialogue would be different but yeah so i i concentrated on on china directly so The word economy was mentioned x amount of times um throughout the various languages and i can see that the the economy was a massive point in this change of geographies and this change of languages did you notice any difference in 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 the discourse surrounding the economy itself as uh, compared to the discourse surrounding the medical um part of the the pandemic i did I think um it was interesting with the economy because a lot of the public um they kind of expected obviously the leaders to do something about the financial situation um and I noticed that particularly in America there was a lean towards a potential recession or depression like early early on so there was a lot of fear kind of generated because of coronavirus but it was um like a social responsibility on the political leaders to help us situate this new knowledge that we now have to deal with in in chinese the word economy came out a lot at the beginning when it was very superficial and there was a bit of confusion as to what was going to happen there was a shift afterwards with regards to policies and stimulating policies that the government could use so that's when the word 
100 million car industries returned to work started to pop up a lot. And there was also some articles that touched upon outside economies very, very briefly, but concentrated on how China wanted to help them. So they discussed Wuhan coronavirus kits, for example, being sent to Iran and different ways that China could help. But the idea of economy itself was always very China-centric. Yeah, I think there was a similar trend in the German context, actually. I think towards the beginning, the language or the discussion around economy was quite general. So yeah, you'd see that the German word for economy come up a lot. Um, But then as it shifts, sort of like early February, mid-February, the talk gets to be a bit more about the stock exchange. So we're we're getting a bit more specific. Um, there's, there's often mention of people kind of like profiting from the stock exchange and then kind of definitely in mid-February, that's when you get to the kind of the minutiae and it's like everyday working life, Arbeitsalltag, um, talking about employers and employees, these words would come up a lot. And similarly to what Marie was saying in the Chinese context, uh, the car industry, the word for the car industry comes up a lot. And that obviously becomes a kind of a, I guess it's a do- quite a dominant industry in Germany. So it's probably a big concern. And that's why it was coming up quite a lot. The kind of second thing I wanted to say actually was sort of in relation to Esther's point about the relationship between economics and politicians. And something that I really found interesting was there was a kind of a day where there was like a real shift in the words that came up. And you had words like solidarity, the word to assure, versprechen, to promise, to make clear. Uh, these words kind of like popped up and I was like, why, why, where are these words coming from? And it was because they were coming the day after uh, the Chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel, had made her kind of first major pre-recorded televised speech about the pandemic. This, this was early March. And it's, the, and it's the one, if anyone wants to look it up on YouTube, where she says, es ist ernst, it's serious. And she's like kind of getting everyone to like take it seriously. And for me, that was seeing evidence in the newspapers of how a politician's speech can change public opinion and can shift public opinion and kind of can seem to reassure public opinion, even if it was just for a day. It's true. The same thing, <laughs> I noticed the same thing, like the articles in March around that time when the politicians started to make speeches um, or give a response, that's when the articles increased. That's that's fascinating, especially because in Russian, we found that the media would often almost discredit um, others' efforts to stop the pandemic and others' trial of, of, of doing something against the pandemic. And it's interesting to see, for example, China having this discourse of offering help to others. And I was wondering if Mary Jane could talk a little bit more about this this narrative uh, behind China's as as a country offering help to to others, and if any other language noticed that as well in in terms of politics. So in terms of politics, I would say in China it's very interesting because there was not so much any dialogue about how the government directly was doing it. So there was no criticism. I think that might also be because it's a lot harder to criticize the government in China. It's not like like in Europe or or the United States. The um, part about China wanting to help other countries, it actually popped up in one of the close reading analysis. So 
there was a, a big discussion around this kit that was being sent to, to Iran, but also there was a focus on how the government wanted to speed up research and speed up mass productions for not only China, but also to send abroad. So that was partially where a lot of the money that the government was given was going to. So to, to research and development of vaccines and the K95 masks. But this was in only one of the, the close reading analysis that that I that I found. But I think that from the outside of China, it could be said that there was a shift from there was a problem in China, China contained it, China solved it in the country, and how they were then approaching it with the outside, sending kits, sending um, help, sending professionals who knew exactly how to solve this problem. I would say, and I think it's, it's, it's very interesting to see this shift occurring throughout very few months only. So it's a very fast shift in, in a very short period of time. I noticed that in Africa, there was a call of globalization. So around June, Africa was really focused on medicine and like the different ways to kind of eliminate coronavirus. And some of the top words, particularly on June 14th, that were used were like health, the word said, was mentioned 571 times, the word publication, 532 times. But the reason I'm mentioning that is because a lot of those words were associated with the responsibility of like the leaders. So there was like the World Health Organization mentioned, there was um, even NSW Health and just different, I guess, organizations that could help us deal with those. But this was particularly in Africa. Public health administration, just a lot of like words that connect the government with the issue. Yeah, I was kind of thinking while you two were talking about how Germany was dealing with other countries. It's interesting that, Maria, you mentioned Iran. That's a country that Germany seemed to mention a lot. But the main one for Germany was definitely like the US and particularly Washington and particularly Donald Trump. Again, usually on like the Sundays when we have these kind of like more discursive opinion pieces coming in, which is kind of interesting. I mean, I don't really know what why Germany would necessarily be more obsessed with America or Trump than anywhere else, but my assumption would be that it was just using that as like a, a yardstick onto which to compare itself and to be like, at least we're doing better than America. But yeah, that, that was the country that at least came the most. Well, it's because Trump, of course, everybody knows he had used his um, his social media platforms to even put out that the coronavirus was the China virus. And that is where it was first seen, um, like the derogatory language towards China. So Trump is like a huge, obviously as the president, he's like a huge figure. Um, and I've noticed a lot of conversations as well around Trump and his influence and how his impact has affected other governmental systems and how they would kind of negotiate boundaries with funding or even discuss policy for next steps. So I noticed that as well. Listening to this, like how much of an inside look mind sources were. So obviously coronavirus affected everybody in the entire world china as well could have 
looked at other countries and either discussed how well they were doing it or whether they were not doing so well. And instead, this particular uh, newspaper just concentrated on China and how China was going to get out of this and then just casually mentioned sometimes the good that China was doing for other countries. But I think that's really interesting because it's a very different approach in terms of articles and, and how articles are written because a lot of times when it comes to the economy and in this case a world pandemic most newspaper articles nowadays do look at every single other country and how everybody else is doing but this particular source just concentrated on china yes we we have noticed in this in this research as we already know that we are not an island and that uh these things do make a difference. And in particular, in terms of this specific pandemic, as Maria rightly pointed out, it's something that affected everyone. And, and therefore, it has this, this notion that it's not just happening here and just with me, but it's happening with everyone and everyone is dealing with the, with the same thing. Is there any final things on the change of languages that you would like to mention? There is one thing that I would like to mention, actually, about the change of language, these new words that sort of crept into the national lexicon. And I kind of wanted to mention some of the cool German ones that have somewhat sort of come out of the pandemic. So um, I mentioned before about how the cancellation of football games and things like this was big news in Germany. And when the football then did restart, obviously, I think it was Germany was one of the first countries. I don't think it was the first country where the Bundesliga restarted. But they created a word for games without a crowd, which was Geisterspieler, which is like ghost games which I think is quite nice, quite atmospheric and also a bit kind of spooky. They had a word for fake news specifically related to the coronavirus. The word for that was infodemie, which is kind of playing on the German word for pandemic, which is pandemie. You know, you'd have people kind of saying, like, drink loads of water and you'll drown the coronavirus. And it's just like, no, that's not, that's not right. And then another word that they came up with was hamsterkäufer, which is like hamster buyers. And that's kind of a word for people that would rush to the supermarket and like buy all the toilet roll and start hoarding things, which I think is a, is a great word. And yeah, it's kind of nice to see that the language can respond to something that's unprecedented by creating something new. Okay, so this brings us to change of home, which with the COVID-19 pandemic, most of us have spent a lot of time at home, but also redefining this idea and the sense of being at home or what does home means to to us i know that esther has previously talked about how home was was very much tied to the people that we could meet both obviously inside our home but also who we could meet outside our home but also, home has been extensively used in home testing, in the idea of working from home, but also nursing homes. And this idea of this, this whole diasporic community that is living in, in different countries, students that have had to return home. So yeah, the pandemic has changed our notion of home, and I would like to know how, how that has been portrayed in your language. I know in English, there were a lot of initial thoughts about the declaration of emergency. So at the very beginning, when coronavirus came up and how people would deal with it, and from there, it kind of stemmed, 
I guess, information about how to go about meeting in public places and how to redefine your home. So, for example, I know in the UK, at, at, there was one time in the text you could only go out with one person from your household, but no one else. And so as time developed, it became six people together, not necessarily from your household, but you would be considered a part of that group. So home in itself was touched with restrictions and like ways to kind of make sure you're being proper in the United States. The governments from different states kind of had several disagreements um, in the text. So some of them had to decide when, if to lift lockdown or when to lift lockdown. Um, That was a huge, huge um, local and just national debate um, in the United States of how to define or redefine home and what are the boundaries for that. In Chinese, I I think it might be due to the fact that my articles all came from an economics-focused newspaper. But uh, this is what I was lacking for my analysis. So being able to get an idea of society and exactly that. Um, Working from home is not a subject that has been covered. So all the policies and all the money being given was towards having workers going back to to an office or in the case of car manufacturing, which like I mentioned earlier was a a very big subject or even the fruits and vegetables area uh, was, was really big. I guess these workers cannot exactly work from home, which might be the reason why the focus is on how much money does the government need to give in order to allow all of these people to be able to go back to, to doing their job. And also China, for example, has now closed its borders. So for a lot of students who, unless you're a Chinese, a Chinese citizen, you cannot go back to China which is, is, is quite a big thing because in a way, again, exactly what is home. So maybe you're not a Chinese national, but maybe your home is in China. So there's, um, there's a lot of complications with regards to that. And even if you were in China doing a master's or studying or anything, once your visa expired, it would not get uh, renewed, which exactly, it, it does cause a bit of a, um, a question as to what is home, who defines what home is, what exactly does it mean? And and unlike with, with other countries, like Esther was saying in the concept of working from home, virtual virtual studying, virtual work, which everybody has been talking about, this, this newspaper did not actually concentrate on that at all. Yeah, I found that really interesting because, again, I think the German context is probably quite different to that. In terms of relationship between home and work one of the new words that entered the german language was the phrase home office and so they used the english term home office to describe working from home which i think is really quite clever because it doesn't use the german word for home or house and so kind of makes it a little bit estranged by them using a foreign phrase like home office which is which kind of makes it sound like it's a package you can buy from microsoft it kind of keeps home and work a little bit more separate, kind of linguistically. Did anyone else find this, these new words coming up with the word home? I know in Korean, our research showed that they have created these new terms, for example, home entertainment, which is home entertainment. 
but also home economy, which has to do with with this notion that now we're doing all our, our shoppings online. Did you notice this new words popping up with the word home in any other languages? I, I didn't necessarily notice anything, but it would be interesting to see whether the online shopping in China has actually exponentially grown due to this, because unlike in, in Europe and in the United States and other parts of the world, actually, China is already very big on online shopping, grocery shopping online. In fact, some of the, the biggest companies, Taobao, even Alibaba, they're all dedicated to sending things your way. So, so this idea of getting things delivered directly to your house is already extremely common. Um, and it's one of the biggest enterprises, I would say, in China, even before coronavirus. So I would, it would be interesting to see if there's, a, if there's a big shift in how much these companies have grown. Yeah, I think I have kind of two things to say in response to that. The first is, I think aside from home office, there weren't really any other words to do with home. In the German context, they use the word quarantena, like quarantine, for what I guess in English we called lockdown. And it was only later on, kind of around April time, when the word lockdown started to be used a bit more often. And again, I find that interesting because lockdown kind of is a bit of a negative word when you really think about it. It's like being in prison or something locked down whereas quarantine sounds a bit more temporary i don't know um but the second thing i wanted to say was kind of about this this virtual question which is coming up and i my background is more in theater and obviously germany a very well-funded state in terms of its theaters but they were very quickly able to respond to the crisis by putting loads of theater online for everyone to watch and for me that i kind of view that as like an expansion of the home to a certain extent. I felt I could access German culture much more easily. I managed to like take part in, there's a yearly theatre festival. I found that great as like a response to a question of what a home can be defined as in the context of a pandemic. For me, like the number one thing that I did notice both in the articles and in real life was Twitter and like how oversaturated it was at the same time with tweets about coronavirus but also there's a discourse community in black twitter and it was like a home where just watching it happen everyone's kind of coping with coronavirus and kind of on the same page and it's just very interesting to know how writing and discourse communities can come together online to cope with these type of things yeah there's so many people that before the pandemic maybe you weren't so close to or you didn't know and suddenly because of the pandemic you could reach out to them or like you said right. Esther you're, you're forming these little groups and it's like I didn't know you were into German theatre yeah let's you know right. let's add that as something we can talk about and share with each other. I'm loving how positive uh, everyone seems to be about this idea of working from home or being at home it's quite interesting because our research has held that in Italian, expressions such as home or stay at home were often correlated to panic or fear or this need to be attentive to everything because something terrible is about to happen. It's, it's interesting how the, the British discourse on that was a lot more on the sense of safety 
because we need to be at home to to make it safe for those who can't or the older generation have noticed if the discourse in each language was more towards the fear and the panic or more towards this uh, incredibly positive take on it i think it was over time it shifted there was like not just um, one linear kind of emotion um, or behavior. Yeah, I think Esther's right. Um, and in the German context, um, a lot of the correlations that would come up, especially at the beginning, were like fear and panic. But it kind of felt like towards the end, you saw more, like I'm, I'm looking at an example in March where the word cooperative was coming up a lot. And the example that I used before of the day after Angela Merkel's speech, where like the word solidarity comes up quite a lot. And it really felt like towards the end, there was a sense of the German population really kind of, in inverted commas, like doing their duty. And I think you see that in practical terms in the way that the German population has gone about wearing masks, for example. You know, the, the German word that they use to wear a mask is Mund und Naseschutz, so like mouth and nose protection. So the word itself is telling you how to wear the mask. And if you leave your house in Germany, basically everyone's wearing a mask. There was no real sense of it being something that people wanted to complain about. For China, I think uh, the discourse also changed a little bit throughout the, the months that we analyzed. But again, with a, with a fo focus on the economy. So it seems very much like at the beginning, there was this uh, uncertainty as to we don't really know what is happening. What are the effects on the economy? What can we do? These are the effects it's having on the different industries in our, in our country. But then towards March and April, it becomes a much more proactive discourse. So a much more, this is what the government will do. This is how the government is planning on helping our country get out of this. I also do think that there might be a small factor which might influence this lack of fear written in the articles, which is you cannot exactly criticize the government. So there might be a discouragement from newspaper articles to actually go out there and say the government is not doing a very good job here. So because it becomes much more of a it's okay, we're all in this, in this together. We're all scared, but as a country, we will get out of this. Thank you, that's very interesting. And this whole discussion has been incredibly informative. Thank you, our guests. Thank you for listening. And we will see you in the next episode on coronavirus versus COVID, where we will be discussing the differences between the language use in coronavirus and COVID-19. We are the project Language Acts and Rulemaking, funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council under the Open World Research Initiative. We have been awarded funding by the King's College London King's Together Coronavirus Rapid Response Fund. Follow the Language Acts project at languageacts.org and at languageacts on Twitter. Feel free to share us your story or any multilingual resource. Thank you and see you next time.